Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear to places to dive and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 447 is recorded live May 7th, 2020. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan, where I do believe it really does look like spring. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. Got out a couple of times this week, not with crowds, but uh, made a big difference on my psychic. Yeah, it's a little something to be said for doing something that makes you feel a little bit normal. Also joining us this week, we have Kevin Ailes. How are you doing today, Kevin? Aaron, I'm doing fairly decent. I could do a lot better if I could get wet, but the yeah. schedule's been kind of keeping me dry these days, but we're going to make a point of getting that happening this weekend. So Excellent. Yeah, I I've, have noticed that traffic has increased on the road. It used to be when I headed to the plant on my Tuesday and Thursday jaunts. Uh, I think there was one day I passed one car, you know, on a 20-minute drive, uh, but uh, it's traffic certainly picking up a little bit, so... As we see some of these restrictions get uh, ratcheted down a tad, uh, and then some people are just saying, screw it, I'm I'm going out anyway. Uh, we're seeing a lot more activity. Most p- folks I'm seeing in this area, they're just, we have a whole new generation of scoff laws. You know, uh, scoff law was actually a word stemming from prohibition. And I think folks have kind of, I don't know, at least in my area, I, I'm a lot on West Main and 43. Kalamazoo area and traffic is heavier than ever going through there. So <laughs> people can't work, wow. so they're going to go out and drive. Oh, yeah. Big time. Well, South Bend opened up. Yeah. yeah there, there's so many legitimate ways you can go and do something that even if they pull you over, I mean, shopping gives you a big one, exercise gives you a big one. Uh, but the only thing that they, they've really kept locked down is uh, gatherings and, uh, if you're a small business owner who's not in the essential list, that's probably the real tragedy is all these, you know, we have half as many small businesses as we had 10 years ago. And uh, those are the ones who are going to be the greatly impacted uh, by this. Yeah, they are suffering. It's a real shame yeah. to see to see these folks, uh, you know, businesses they put together with blood, sweat, and tears are greatly in jeopardy. It's sad to watch that. Amongst those are going to be dive shops. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Dive wow. shop is almost uh, a classic small business. I don't know of many that I would consider to be large businesses. I mean, in, in most dive shops, it's kind of a second job because they, it's really tough to make a living with a dive shop or teaching scuba. People who are instructors, hats off to you folks because you are the people who are keeping our sport alive, but it doesn't pay the bills. You all may have heard uh, it's a. Uh, What's a large pizza got in common with a uh, scuba instructor? Neither one can feed a family of four. But you just can't you just can't pay the bills teaching <laughs> scuba, you know. So yeah. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. And this is uh, we'll just well, hopefully we'll start getting some positive news as we go through this. But the first one right off the bat is the 2020 scuba show has officially been canceled. 
The organizers of the show in Long Beach, California, have announced that this year's convention has officially been canceled. The next show will take place May 22nd and 23rd in 2021. Then according to the email the organizers sent out, we considered moving the 2020 show to later in the year, but ultimately decided that postponing the show still had too much uncertainty. While being of everyone under our roof is our primary concern, there's no way to responsibly hold an event this size and with the people from around the world in the, for the foreseeable future. If you've already bought tickets for the 2020 show, you have two options. You can get a full refund of your purchase or transfer your tickets to the 2021 Scuba Show. If you choose to transfer, organizers say they will double your ticket order for free. This will allow you to bring a friend, preferably someone you want to introduce into diving. That will help our scuba community grow and help companies weather the aftermath of this pandemic. They will appreciate the organizers are working on a way to bring some of the scuba show to you virtually at the end of the month. They will send out details soon. And this was reported by Deeper Blue. But, well, that's uh, really good, though, to double the value of the ticket if you hang on to it. Oh, yeah. Well, you have to that's, think about that's a it. good part. Is that when they do pre-ticket sales, part of the pre-ticket sales is to help cover the expenses, mailings, things like that. So it's almost like a bank. If everybody who ordered a ticket wanted a refund, they're probably going to be in some tough situation. They probably don't have the cash sitting around. Uh, they have to get a line of credit or you know, um, well, and it's not like else. these, and, and I'm, a, and it's, it's not like these shows are operating on, on a huge profit margin. You know? There's a tremendous amount of overhead. In these programs, I was talking to some organizers for uh Shipwreck festival. And, you know, when you see all the bodies coming in there at 30 bucks a head, you, you think that they're, they're, they're pretty flush in the green stuff, but actually no, cause when you, when, by the time the, the liability insurance comes out and the, uh, the hall or the, or the venue, fee comes out and the speaker fees come out and you know there's just so much involved with these things that they're actually operating on a very thin, thin profit margin yeah yeah it, and, it, it's got to be a, a labor of love for them i know in the commercial world uh shows you know computer shows or technology shows uh they've been going by the wayside uh, i can remember when there used to be a comdex show and that's gone so these shows that look that probably at one point in time are making a lot of money uh, with the internet, uh, the case for it has uh, decreased. And then the big uh, monopoly technology companies, they don't even feel like they need to go to any of the shows anymore. They just phone it in. You know, if they'll do anything, they'll rent a, a hall across the street from the show and poach people who just happen to be in town. But I, I will say they do have a fine idea as far as, uh, putting in their promotion to encourage folks to bring someone new along next next year, the free ticket. In fact, we probably ought to, you know, pass it on ourselves here. I mean, you know, a lot of our listeners do regularly go to the shows, uh, you know, not necessarily in our area, but wherever area they're in. And, you know, it's one of the best ways to get your non-diving buddy into scuba diving is to bring them to one of these programs. And, you know, I mean, hey, so you invest, 30 bucks in a potential dive buddy, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, that's, you know, that was the kind of money we, we put into our dive gear and equipment and computers. That's, you know, not much at all, but yeah, bring, bring, bring somebody fresh in next year. You no, know? I mean, uh, you know, overall we've been watching the attendance at these programs slip and slip. Although, um, Ford Seahorses did have a excellent attended show last this year. Um, 
I think attendance was up a little bit at the previous uh, World Underwater. Unfortunately, this year this year didn't happen. Um, you know, up year next year's kind of uh, you know, remains to be seen. Then we of course we have uh, shipwrecks and scuba in Sandusky coming up in November. Uh, I've not heard anything about that venue changing. I, I believe that one is still scheduled. Uh, if something changes, we'll let you know here on the podcast, of course. But, uh, bring a friend. You know, it's the best way to go. <clears throat> and let's see, who, what do we have next? We have the removal of the Golden Ray cargo ship hits a snag. Um, if we remember, the MV Golden Ray ship was the one that is sitting on its side in Georgia, St. Simmons Sound, more than seven months after it wrecked and capsized. The Unified Command hoped to remove the ship before hurricane season, which starts about June 1st, but the coronavirus pandemic has delayed progress. Hundreds of crew members are working around the clock to salvage and remove the ship from the nation's busiest ports. Uh, We have completed the installation of 80 pilings needed to install the environmental protection barrier. Kip Wadlow, a public information officer for St. Simmons Sound, told Fox News, also installed six of the 16 lifting lugs needed for lifting the pieces of the Golden Ray once the cutting process begins. The ship became grounded in St. Simmons on September 8th, 2019. Um, uh, luckily, there was no loss of life. And they go on and they talk about uh, a few different things just to kind of recap. But most of our listeners know what's going on, but they're they're getting that point. Did you see the uh, photo of the lifting hooks? They had to, they, they were having a challenge getting them. They were, I guess those lifting hooks were made in Germany, which I'm a little puzzled why. Uh, you couldn't just have something like that unless there's some sort of patent on them. Uh, to me, it just looks like some steel. Plenty of metal fabricators here in the U.S. It probably could have uh, done. There's probably all kinds of specifications and tensile strength and engineering goes into the lifting hooks. And, you know, maybe you could find someone else who could do it. But if you have, have an organization who's been doing it, tried true and got the patent on it, you got to follow yeah. the ball. Yeah. And you got to make it to the engineering diagrams and stuff. I wish we get some video of this, you know, when the uh, Costa Concordia went on its side. There were a number of folks who went there illegally with drones and videoed the salvage effort and uh, put it on YouTube. <laughs> it was really, really cool, you know. They weren't supposed to be mm-hmm. out there. I guess some of them got arrested doing it, too. Uh, I gather this was probably a little bit too far offshore to send your your favorite DGI Phantom out there <laughs> and spy on yeah, the guys. But... You probably get about a third of the way there and it drops in the water. Yeah, well, run your boat out there, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah. it's still I, interesting I, to know they're going to cut that into eight sections, each section weighing four thousand five hundred tons, and that's what two football fields in length. Yeah, so yeah, the the that's pieces a hell of are a job. Yeah, the pieces they're cutting it into are monstrous. I mean, just pulling them out at that point—that's big deal. And then we have an oil pollution may stem from a shipwreck. Fuel oil pollution, which killed numerous birds on the south shore of Iceland and the shore of some island I cannot pronounce, is possibly under the surface of the ocean and therefore invisible on the surface. Uh, a newspaper I can't re- pronounce reports. The Environmental Agency of Iceland, in cooperation with the Icelandic Coast Guard and an oceanographer f- from the Marine and Freshwater Institute, is looking into whether pollution could have originated in a shipwreck on the ocean floor. According to the environmental agency, it could be some time to find the location of the source, which is done by analyzing ocean currents data regarding the location of shipwrecks in the area. 
Our hope is we'll soon get results from the modeling projects, enabling us to at least define areas worth investigating further. During the past month, more than 100 birds soaked in oil were found on the shores of the island and the south coast of Iceland. Most of the common mirrors and common eaters, but eaters, it doesn't sound like a good name for a bird, uh, have been occasionally cormorants and puffins as well. Analysts of samples collected the birds shows that in all cases, some of the fuel oil is involved. No fuel oil production been detected on the shores where the birds were found, nor has any oil pollutant been seen on the surface during monitoring flights by the Icelandic Coast Guard or on satellite pictures from the European Maritime Safety Agency. The theory being considered right now is that the pollution is below the surface of the ocean, which is affecting bird species uh, have in common is that they dive for fish. Although the depth to which they dive varies, they may therefore become drenched in oil while diving. Although the Icelandic Coast Guard has asked mariners to report any oil pollution detected, no one has done so yet. So it appears that these birds are, they're finding the birds in bad shape, but they're not finding the oil slick itself. Kind of a good forensics problem yeah, to, but to just, work just on. Just those, those birds don't dive that deep. I mean, I, I doubt they're more than 20 feet deep, and I'm just surprised if the oil's getting that close to the surface, it's not coming all the way. Uh, that's what I would guess, too. It either would, to me, yeah, and I guess there's different stages of the oils that breaks down, but it seems like it's either going to be on the bottom because it's broken down to where it's not floating, or it's going to be floating. The, the chance of it being exactly the same density of water doesn't seem likely. I'm going to guess that uh, they just haven't spotted it or it's not a huge amount but it's in an area where these birds are feeding uh or they're accumulating it they're doing enough dives that even a small amount is uh collecting on them and then the world wildlife federation i think is a federation or foundation ww oh world wildlife fund uh, uh they're reporting a newly discovered ocean species uh the Mariner's Trench is the deepest trench in the world at 11,034 meters or 36,201 feet deep. If placed in a trench, Mount Everest Peak would still come out about 2,000 meters short of reaching the ocean surface. Though the Mariner's Trench was established as a marine national monument, plastic pollution has managed to find its way to the bottom of the trench where explorers have found it littering the ocean floor. As part of an expedition the Mariner's Trench in 2014, a team of scientists discovered a new species located 6,900 meters below the ocean surface. One particular specimen of crustacean was alarmingly already polluted with plastic before it was even known to science. As a result, the scientists dubbed the new species Eurythenus plasticus. (laughs) It sounds like a Monty Python name, doesn't it? Uh... With support of WWF in analyzing newly discovered deep-sea amphipod species, Specimens, scientists found a 0.65 millimeter large microfiber, fiber, 80% similar to the PET, petrochlorine tetraphylate. Are you sure this is, a, this, is, this is a serious article here? I mean, we're talking about plastic bugs and support from the WWF. Is that the World, World Wrestling Federation? No, no, this is... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I realize it's a common acronym here, you know, but we, we've come yeah. across some spoof articles here before. Okay, no, the, this one's on the, the fence the, right now. Yeah, no, this one's actually legitimate. When you look at the size mm-hmm. of the 
piece of plastic is it's really, really tiny. Uh, and as it goes through the article, the reason they named it that is they really wanted to draw attention that here was something that should be in a pristine environment that uh, man doesn't visit, and yet we've had an impact by having plastic show up. So, Well, I thought you were kind of, you know, being only somebody serious, because you're calling it the the Marinara Marianas Trench. It's 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 actually the 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 Marianas Trench. Marianas um, Trench. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're thinking marinara sauce or something with here. But. I, I'm 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 thinking dinner actually. But well, you know, this is kind of it almost looks like a like a chunky shrimp here, you know. And put that I, some... you can just peel his legs off, stick them in some. Uh, yeah. <laughs> see, I would I would make a bad researcher. You can't eat the specimens. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, Bob, didn't we have five of these over here? Well, I don't hey, but they're awesome with a little bit of cocktail sauce on them, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I probably don't have any vegans in the audience here. I'm sure we probably yeah. do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean to be politically incorrect, if you got plastic, it's kind of like it comes with its own toothpick. Uh, let's see. The next one. Scientists hey, discovered one, the one this, yeah. Did you catch the bottom of that, though? The reason well, they brought that up, they're saying every day. At least one truckload of plastic waste is dumped into the oceans, equivalent to 1,440 truckloads each day. Just two days ago, we celebrated World Wildlife Day under the banner of sustaining all life on Earth. It's imperative we continue to fight for sustaining and protecting all life in our oceans and land from the emergency threat of plastic pollution. Yeah, That's a lot of trucks. Yeah. Well, and then most of us, if you think back... You know, to when we were kids, there wasn't nearly the amount of plastic. You, We didn't have plastic bags. For the most part, you had trash bags, which were plastic. But you didn't go to every grocery store, didn't hand you stuff in plastic. It was paper, uh, you know, a little bit more cardboard box, not these blister packs from hell. Uh, so I, I'm, I would like to see some less plastic. Thank you. And like when you say plastic, though, you're thinking of styrofoam, too, like egg cartons. Used to be cartons yeah. of cardboard. Now they're styrofoam. Yeah. Well, I know yeah. that some of your large, some of your larger cities, you do have uh, restaurants and businesses which are really towards having a much more green impact. Uh, advertised one that's uh, all their food, all their food wrapping is all biodegradable. All their um, people, all their suppliers have to bring in only biodegradable food wrapping, and the uh, thing is all done organic they're pretty pricey too i'm sure but uh that's getting to be quite popular in some places yeah but i mean we we used to do that other than glass and tin which were readily recyclable uh you know we we were able to do it before we just they just have to build it back into their pricing and uh, and things will adjust uh scientists discover the world's longest animal off the coast of australia uh and i think this is another one we we have to thank derek for Scientists have discovered a brand new animal species just off the uh, coast of Australia. Uh, at least they think it's an animal. Footage has been released of a long, stringy-like animal that seems to be something between an organ and an organism. Imagine to be both things at once. Many have just been calling it a long, stringy string thingy. It's the long, stringy, the long, stringy, stingy thingy. Apparently, it's got some kind of venom too. Yeah. So scientists uh, ventured in the unexplored area of the ocean when they came across a creature as well as another 30 species off the western Australian coast. The uh, creature is a cynophore, which is about 46 meters long, twice as long as a blue whale, 
three times as long as a humpback whale. Uh, they are predators that are made up a bunch of small clones that act as one animal. They're also deep sea animals. This one is supposedly the longest that scientists have found. The deep sea research vehicle dove 4,439 meters into the sea, though the sign of four was discovered on the way back to the surface around 600 meters. Checking out this beautiful giant sign of four, Apomia, recorded on uh, Ningaloo Canyon Expedition. It seems like this specimen is the largest ever recorded in a strange UFO-like feeding posture. Everyone was blown away when it came to the view. Most scientists had drifted out of the control room. The word soon spread. People came pouring into the control room to share the excitement. It was just amazing to see this huge organism spread out like a spiral UFO hovering in the water column. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. Wilson added that months of research is yet to take place before scientists confirmed that these organisms are, in fact, truly unknown to us. We were definitely looking for and expecting new species. These waters just too unexplored to not yield some treasures. Some of the clones specializing in catching prey, their slender bodies hang with a single long tentacle dangling like a hook-studded fishing line, like the frillied technical, uh, technicals, tentacles of another Sinophore pictured below, which uh, when I go below, I just see pictures of politicians, but I guess you can call them that. That's about the same thing. If you go down real far, it's a blue shot. Looks sort of creepy if you ran into it and you were bare skin. Looks like a hook studied or studied fishing line. Uh huh. It's the the stingy thingy, so I wonder if it's got like venom in it too. I don't know. They may be looking for volunteers to stick their hands in that. Of course, at 600 meters, I think the uh, venom's probably your least of your concerns. I'm good, thanks. I'm working too much. Oh, Karen is typing something. Is she volunteering? I was going to post something, but I can't get that on there for some reason. Karen, I keep getting the speed test, and I have no spot I can go ahead and put that picture in there. Well, this next article is from the Lanc- Lancaster, was it? Lancashire Telegraph, a Blackburn youth scuba diver to build a Lego 40 feet underwater to raise money for the NHS, which is the UK's uh, health system. 11-year-old Sophie Odia from Blackburn wants to raise over 5,000 pounds to thank the NHS for their hard work during the coronavirus pandemic. She will build a Lego plane on top of a real plane at a maximum depth allowed for her age. That sounds like the politically correct thing you say in a press release. Nope, look like we lost Mac. Uh, Sophie will have a staff of Canary... Divers on hand to ensure safety during the dive. Mum Emma O'Day said, We are incredibly proud of Sophie. She knows it won't be an easy task to complete, but I know her determination and I know she will give it 100%. Sophie's the type of girl that just gets on with it. She takes everything in her stride, both at school and her scuba diving. She always gets the results she has aimed for. She has her family behind her, and I'm in no doubt she will surface with the biggest smile on her face. The youngster will follow instructions while underwater on how to build the Lego atop the plane, which was sunk in the Capern Ray, Ray Quarry many years ago. Sophie said, I wanted to find a way to help raise money to put towards equipment or anything else I need. Because we were in lockdown, I found it really difficult of, to think of ways to fundraise in my home. My hobby is scuba diving. I love building Legos. So why not put those two things together and build a Lego underwater? It's not going to be easy because Legos want to float. I have to keep an eye on my air supply as well as staying perfectly buoyant myself. So I'm 
going to do a lot of practice in the bath and the pool at home. I know she's not that big, but can she really practice buoyancy in the bath? I hope people donate and I get to the target. I will do the dive as soon as the lockdown is lifted. Sophie became a youth ambassador. Age 10 has done underwater photography courses. She also reviews diving equipment for the Canary Divers. Her diving instructor, Chris Fearnley, said all Canary Diver staffs are very proud to have Sophie as part of the dive club. We all wish her the best with her challenge. Challenge will not be easy for Sophie as she will be building a Lego while keeping an eye on her air supply content to donate. Uh, visit her Just Giving page online, which the news, this article doesn't even give a link to it. Jerks. Well, I'm all in support of it as long as I don't have to end up stepping on some of those Lego blocks she leaves around some place. Well, Lego blocks and Barbie shoes are the two most dangerous things known to parents. Yeah. You, you step there. on those oh, yeah. at two in the two in the morning and uh actually, actually the most dangerous is if you have girls, it's the boyfriend. Well, that's a little later. I'm hoping you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, and really, it's not that dangerous when you think about it. I, I'm usually better armed. Uh, yeah, but they're they're a lot sneakier. Oh, yeah. oh, there's some stories there. Uh, Australian tour company is planting coral as vacationers stay away. Uh, employees of Australian dive tour operator continue to plant coral in the Great Barrier Reef after business was shut down in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. Passions of Paradise, a family-owned ecotourism company, in Carnes, Australia, normally takes vacationers out in the Pacific Ocean where they scuba dive, snorkel, and take to the natural beauty of the world's largest coral reef system. But with the government-mandated shutdowns and social distancing restrictions, they haven't had a customer in weeks, giving the group a chance to focus on their sustainability efforts. At the end of the day, we are commercial tourism operations, so our activities are usually centered around showing people this amazing ecosystem. Environmental Sustainability Manager Russell said, but we've been able to focus really on the scientific arm of the operation during the shutdown. The company's been planning coral since September as part of the public-private partnership geared towards boosting tourism, long-term stewardship of the reef. Haas said normally his team is busy tending needs of customers on the immersive explorations, and rarely do professional divers have more than 30 minutes to spare for coral planting. But lately, it's been smooth sailing for science. We've been able to solely focus on planting this coral and working on finding efficient ways to get the most amount of work done at specific time. We're really pleased with the result. The group's planning efforts have focused on Hastings Reef, a popular diving spot with a larger Great Barrier Reef system. 1,000 coral pieces have been seeded by the tour operator as of March. But since the shutdown began, the company has been able to more than double that number, planning 1,200 pieces of coral over the course of three days. Only four divers and marine biologists are allowed in the boat at a time to keep with the social distancing guidelines. It's a great feeling knowing you're contributing and making a difference here, Haas said. The planning effort comes on the heels of most widespread coral bleaching ever recorded on the Natural Wonder in the third mass bleaching event in five years. Bleaching doesn't kill a coral immediately, but if temperatures remain high, the marine plants will eventually die. Last year, the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority downgraded the outlook for the coral's condition from poor to very poor due to warming oceans. And the latest report concluded the Great Barrier threat to the reef remains climate change. Although coastal development and land-based water runoff, in addition to illegal fishing, are also factors. 
I'm very worried about the situation given how warm temperatures are on the Great Barrier Reef and what projections are. Marine biologist Ove Hort Gildberg said in a statement to ABC News, Hosp and the Passions of Paradise team hope to change outlook one coral plant at a time. The scale might be small in terms of overall reef, but if every person can do that one thing that makes a little bit difference, it can really start to add up. Uh, Passion of Paradise plans on conducting weekly boat trips to exclusively plant coral beginning next week under normal business operations when they resume. I would like to see how how, how much luck they have with these tran- these uh, transplants. Do the does the coral come back pretty quickly or not at all? Didn't we see an article on that oh, last year in a particular area, and it seemed like it was working out pretty decent? I can't remember. I know there was uh, one group that was actually doing um, like electrolysis type of process where they were growing some yeah. reefs that way, but I don't remember. Uh, on the, it wasn't the transplant, like you said, the electrolysis part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the electrolysis one looked pretty interesting. But uh, what I didn't understand, um, well, maybe I just can't remember because it's been a while since we looked at it, but was the electrolysis building up the organic, you know, the the organism that's coral, or is it just building up a mineral that coral could eventually attach to? I thought it was a mineral aspect. It's more like giving it food. Yeah, that makes sense. Sounds like I need to do a little bit more research on that. Well, a plane ticket. There, you know, not not this year, maybe next year, and then we could investigate that, and maybe volunteer a week of our time or something, and help out. Oh, I'd do that in a second. Other than the probably the plane ticket is uh, more than my allowance with two kids in college. Uh, boy, we're down in Australia again. They 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 seem to be where it's at. Historic shipwreck uncovered on Victoria Beach, the largest section of. In Verloc's historic shipwreck has been revealed with more than 30 centimeters of sand eroding away, uncovering more of the wreckage. In December 12, 1863, the Amazon departed Melbourne for Mauritius with a cargo of salted meats. Only four days later, it washed up on Interlock in Verloc Surf Beach after encountering a storm, a storm on Bass Strait. Since then, the 157-year-old shipwreck has been uncovered due to erosion. There's been a lot of locals walking the beach trying to keep themselves fit and healthy, and everyone's just amazed at what they're seeing. Secretary of the Amazon 1863 Project, Kara Bergia, said, at the moment there's more uncovering and telling a completely different story than we thought up to 48 hours ago. We always thought we were looking at the keel of a ship, but the Heritage Victoria have confirmed it is the stem of the ship, which is the bow at the front, which is where the figurehead would have been placed. The Amazon 1863 project was formed in November with a group of budding maritime archaeologists working with the Heritage Victoria to collect and conserve items that have been detached from the wreckage. I don't think people are aware of the value of the shipwreck. It is the most significant shipwreck on Victoria's coast with the only one shipwreck we have to respect it and appreciate what we have at Inverloch. The committee is working to create a children's book to tell the story of the shipwreck discovery. We want to teach people about the story of the Amazon, the demise, and a sort of more importantly, why we should appreciate and respect such things from our heritage value. The text is pretty much formalized and illustrations are being done at the moment. We hope to have it later in the year to be published. 
A lot of people know nothing about the shipwreck, so we're talking about it when it came from and what kind of ship it was and where it came from, how it happened to it, how it ended up on the beach, Chairperson Tribly Paris said. Ms. Paris, a long-term plan to showcase some of the preserved artifacts in museum. We can't preserve every piece of the shipwreck. That is just not going to happen, so we've got to be careful about which pieces get chosen and what's significant enough to go through the preservation process. Communities being urged to stay away from the shipwreck in order to preserve it. We would just encourage some people, the only thing to take is photos and memories. At least they didn't say pristine. No, and I think Mother Nature will help out, too. <clears throat> I guess we're not the only place in the world that's getting this crazy erosion, which is revealing these beach shipwrecks. We've had, what, three of them pop up just in the last month here in Michigan area? Yeah, I've seen they the it's like you can't open up Facebook without somebody um uh, talking about them. Yeah. I mean there's that one up there in Ludington, there's the one up there uh Garden Peninsula area by Manistique, and I think there was a third one I heard about as well. It wasn't in Lake Michigan. It was, uh, actually it was over by Sleeping Bear Dunes. There's one that's, there's a piece that recently popped up as Sleeping Bear Dunes too. So yeah. there's at least three just in our neighborhood. So you get a chance, you know, walk, walk the beach. You may be surprised what you find out there. And then here's another one. Uh, let's see. This is a fairly recent article from ancientorigins.net. Uh, remarkable sewn Roman shipwreck is Croatia's biggest find of the 21st century. Now, I'm not sure it's their biggest find, but it certainly is interesting. Uh, experts have announced the recent discovery of a rare Roman shipwreck, the ancient wooden vessels providing insights and development of shipping in classical world has been dubbed Croatia's greatest archaeological discovery of the 21st century due to its remarkable preservation. Okay. Ancient boat was unearthed during excavations in the Porta de Mar archaeological site on the Croatian town of Prek waterfront. The town is located in the historic region of Ishtari, Isht, Istra, Istra, maybe? Istra probably looks a little bit better, and was established by the Romans today being famous for its many historical buildings and site. The boat was unearthed during the ongoing archaeological mission to investigate the ancient water for the town, which has already revealed many important finds. It was found near an ancient pier because of the changes of the coastline where it sank became part of the land. The boat was found embedded in the mud, and many of its original timbers have been preserved. An archaeologist who took part in the mission told Croatia Week it was well-preserved because it was at a certain depth of the soil and could not be penetrated by oxygen. The remains are approximately 16 feet long, 5 meters, 5.6 feet, 1.7 meters wide, and originally had a mast and a sail. Many of the original elements of the vessel remained, and those are primarily the framework, the ribs, the keel. The outline of those parts that have decayed have been preserved in a wet sludge, has allowed the archaeologist to determine the type of vessel and how it was made. The type known as a Roman sewn ship, because the ingenious way it was constructed. This type of ship was stitched together using ropes and wooden nails known as spots. Every stitch that was made is recorded in the sludge. Builders of the ship tied ropes together and sewed them through holes, which they then had wooden nails inserted in them. After that, the ribs, which are connected with this plate, by the big wooden nails are put on. These types of ships have been found from earlier periods in other sites in Croatia. Most of them have been found by marine archaeologists as a result of been difficult to investigate. 
In a total, three vessels of this type have been located on land in the Balkan nation. This specimen from Porek is one of the three boats that found on land that are not part of the underwater archaeological survey. Experts decide about the latest discovery, stating the archaeological find is the biggest in the last 30 years. It's significant because the boats are well-preserved and many elements have rarely seen. The researchers are able to date the remains to the first century A.D., to the time when Porek was a Roman colony. Dalmata, a heavily Romanized, but also retained much of the original character and culture. The vessels particularly associated with the northern Adriatic, the tribes who inhabited the coast collectively known as the Illyrians, were famed shipbuilders and numerous pirates in ancient time. They also conquered by the Romans. The Romans adopted their small oared ships and used them successfully in various wars, especially in the eastern Mediterranean. The findings of the research in his own ships were presented by the director at a recent public event. The archaeologists took part in a dig, presented their research, latest findings adding the knowledge of the Roman era naval technology. So it's not a very large boat. It's, what, 17 feet, they said, but it sure has an awful lot of information on it. Yeah, well, it's interesting is a sewn. So when they're saying sewn, it's like the boards were wood, and they were using rope to kind of lash them together from the inside. So I imagine it was kind of similar to like a barrel construction, except for you're pulling it from the inside instead of wrapping it from the outside. A lot of pitch on it, more than yeah. like in canvas um, or something. Yep, that would make sense. Some- and then... X-rayed artifacts from a famed shipwreck, famed shipwreck shed light on the secrets of Tudor ar- army. Armor? Uh, is it armor? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm, I'm just armor. adding words. It's getting late. Uh, one of King Henry VIII's favorite warships, the Mary Rose, which served as one of the flagships of the English Navy for over 30 years until she sank in the battle against the French in 1545. She made headlines again in 1982 and successfully raced from the bottom of the Straits, where she had lain for centuries along with thousands of artifacts that have been a boon to maritime archaeologists ever since. Conservationists have worked tirelessly to preserve the ship's remains and many artifacts, and now high-energy X-ray analysis of chainmail links salvaged from the wreckage by the team of British scientists revealed the material composition of the armor is similar to modern brass alloy, according to a recent paper published in the Journal of was that sink retron radiation? There are also traces of lead and gold whose origin has yet to be decisively determined. The study clearly shows the power of combining sophisticated techniques such as those available at a source. We can glean information only on the original production, but also on how it reacted to the marine environment, crucially how effective the conservation strategies have been. And they got some good photos below. I'm not going to read this whole article other than to say that museum is pretty cool looking. Yep. And they put some serious coin into that too. I know the British government was saying they were never going to undertake one of these uh, excavations again just because it's so costly. Yeah. It it was really popular at the time. Whoever promoted it and got everybody on board. Prince Charles, I think at one point was involved. Well, and it's been a wealth of information too. Not not yeah. just from the ship, but also there, you know, there have been a significant amount of human remains on board, which they, they've studied, given clues about the time is the time. You know, it's you know, intellectually, it's been a it's been full of treasure. Yeah, but, uh, it's it's been you know quite quite costly too, though. I'm sure yeah, it's well but 
well into seven figures, if not eight figures, what they have invested in this program. Yeah. And and it's the part of it's the, the subject. I mean, King Henry the Eighth was a a well uh discussed monarch and subject he quite, of he was he was quite notorious. And yes. and not just and, and not just because of the song either. Yeah. Of course, if you get that song in your head, he's quite <laughs> I was I was I was already in there. <laughs> and really ain't die. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. we just lost we just lost about about thirty listeners right there. I'm sure, you know? There you go. <laughs> the pictorial, if you went all the way down the Mary Rose Museum in Portsmouth, mm-hmm. that's quite a uh, building in itself. I bet you it flies. Down, look at it. Yeah. yeah and- and for our That's listeners, if you're just tuning into this information, uh, you know, please investigate the Murray Rose online. Uh, also, the Vasa. These are a couple of European uh, warships that have been excavated, and just an incredible amount of high-quality craftsmanship went into building these ships. These ships actually could not be built today because there are just so many extinct trades which which built these things. But uh, please investigate. This is really, really cool stuff here. If you're a shipwreck nerd like the rest of us, yeah, it's good. It, it's good in these times to be out there and plenty of reading time. Well, I think we have gotten to the end of the scuba in the news. Oh wow, yep, well, we, we we plowed through that. Well, we uh, had some good art- some good articles. Uh, nice, nice yeah. digging job there, Darren. We had some good, good stuff. You. Yeah, sometimes I you never know what you're going to get, and the pickings have been pretty slim. Uh, the virus is, you know, if, if people don't dive, we don't have a whole lot to talk about. So, uh, well, I think a lot of the p- pickings being slim was just different media outlets had to adjust to what's going on these days. Now, you know, they are adjusting and they're, they're getting their articles in and, t- and periodicals are yeah. coming out again. Now it was just kind of an adjustment phase and we're, we're moving forward. It's just, uh, you know, it, it, a, kind of a switch of gears for all of us here. So. So let's see, uh, diving, uh, what we discussed uh, before this program. Uh, on Lake 16, there were people that were getting out and doing some maintenance. Was it American Dive Zone? Was that? Yeah, yeah American Dive Zone got a, had a crew out there, and uh, sounds like they've undertaken rebuilding the uh, platform out there. They've had it all over Facebook, and uh, hats off to these guys, as Mac was saying earlier. I mean, it's, you know, it takes a lot of work to uh get a project like that together and you know the we've all seen the platform it has been slowly coming apart over the years you know you did notice like two years ago some of the barrels starting to push through the deck and, uh, a lot of uh oh around the edges it was getting pretty rough i think uh dave Lowry was out there he posted pictures online of it actually pretty well capsized it had almost turtled because uh it was only it was partially attached to the bottom and partially not, and it was a real mess. But uh, good to see those folks are uh, taking the initiative and getting it back together again. Has anybody else gotten in the water in the last week? Embarrassingly, I have <laughs> been trying yeah. way too long. Well, I mean, I, I, I haven't either. Uh, Bob, Mac, I think Bob I in last week, and they've I'm got sorry? Bob Sweeney. Yeah. They got out last week, and they're also uh, scheduling something right now, as I understand, for this weekend again. Yeah, it sounds like the water temps are starting to warm up now, too. You know, there's a lot going on as far as uh, the clubs getting together. And, uh, you know, as you've seen uh, large groups up to Lake 16 already this year, uh, sort of coming together at Prairieville Park, Gull Lake. 
Um, I'm seeing uh, some folks have been diving out on Lake Michigan and the Great Lakes as well. So, uh, you know, the dive season's coming together. It's looking like it's going to be kind of kind of shaky for charters at this point, uh, you know, with the uh, social distancing guidelines. Um, as of right now, they can run charters. Although I did see some guidelines that were being pushed by the uh, Michigan, the MUCC, is that Michigan United Conservation Clubs? Basically, that they, they work, you know, the uh, it's it's a voice for mm-hmm. uh, fishing clubs and hunting clubs. And putting together some guidelines, really trying to use uh, their, their substantial political clout to uh, have these as part of the uh, getting things back to normal plan for the future here. It sounds like they actually have some things coming together. Well, could have some things coming together for unrelated people being on the same boat uh, in, in the near future. Uh, as of right now, the social distancing guidelines, at least the way they are forced in Michigan, means that only non-related people can be on the same boat. Um, you meant related people. What's that? You meant related people, not non-related people. Oh, yeah. I, only people who are living within the same household. I should clarify yeah. that. You, you have yeah. People have to be living within the same household uh, to be on a boat of, of any size at this point. And yeah. there's no provisions as far as having you know a guide or a dive master or someone running a charter taking folks out at this point. Uh, I mean, I've seen the language, and uh, you know, as of today, which is... May seventh, twenty twenty, um, cannot run dive charters as of yet. Now, there's a lot of hopes for things relaxing in the near future. I know that uh, dive charters are still booking and booking up quite well. Up, you know, starting about like July thereabouts. Uh, there, quite a few group, you know, charter organizations which do plan on taking folks out. You know, I've seen stuff as far as with uh, Black Dog and uh, looks like Yitka was, you know, making yeah, some I plans here. Yeah, she personally got out this last week. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, as soon as the guidelines are, the social distancing guidelines are relaxed, people are poised to get out there as far with the charters. You know, people who have their own boats are getting out there right now. You know, I have seen where uh, a couple of guys up north from Traverse City, Chris and Dusty, have been getting out quite a bit. You know, uh, so some folks are getting out there, and hey, hats off to them. You know. Uh, We've been in the process of getting making some improvements on our boat around here. Uh, Amy and I have made some modifications with the with the craft. Um, uh, planning on doing our honeymoon as a dive trip, you know, end of June, early July, and we've been mostly working towards that right now, getting the boat ready for that. Um, but you know, we are we will have the boat ready in better shape this year for putting out buoys, better shape for you know taking divers out. But as of right now, it can only be her and I boat and uh the boat's a little big for just her and i we we can do it and we will do it and we have done it in the past but uh it's gonna be nice to when we can finally get you know all our buddies out there you know i know uh john nadoba and i were talking about going out and basically we're looking at he's gonna take his boat and i'm gonna take my boat <laughs> you know that's the, that's the way we gotta do it with social distancing you know and uh but hey you know as much as we resent what's going on and you know it's Part of the part of the plan by those who know better than we do, and uh, just got to deal with it for now. And uh, this will pass. Well, we already yeah, see. I, I, I think right now, 
your, at least here in Michigan, your political connectiveness of your organization has a lot to do of when you will be released. Cause I think what they're doing is they're, they're trying to play the numbers game, which is they know they need to loosen some stuff up. So they're looking at what gives them the biggest political benefit uh, with the least amount of risk. So they don't, they're not going to open everything up, but they're going to, you know, selectively pick what comes out. So if you, I, I think if an organization could come up with a way where they can convince the powers that be that uh, they can mitigate the risk of uh, the transmission of COVID uh, through other means than just not being on the same boat, uh, that they could potentially get a, get that restriction lifted sooner than later, provided that they have some guidelines. Yeah, and, and, and people are working on that, and it, it shouldn't be too far down the road before things are loosened up that way. It all, it all just kind of depends on what the numbers do in the next few weeks. You know? They're seeing how some areas that have loosened up the restrictions have had spikes in, in the numbers. And are we going to see that here? Time will tell. But, you know, people are going to go. People are getting out. Just unfortunately, the only ones that are getting out right now are those who have have their own their own boat to get out so yeah we'll we'll keep an eye on it and hopefully in a month's time we'll be talking about everybody getting out and doing a a great dive well you know that this this is temporary you know i mean we'll get back we will get back to normal i I don't want to get too political about this and all that uh, (laughs) when folks were in the in, in the depths of the the spanish flu 1918 genuinely thought it was the end of Drawing all kinds of biblical analogies, and this, you know, this was <laughs> wasn't anything to look forward to in the future. And you can find writings and you know doomsday predictions of all kinds of stuff from those days. And now the Spanish flu is just a footnote. It's a it's a big footnote. We're talking 50 million deaths at that time, but uh, people survived. People got through it. We just kind of before Corona, very few people even heard of Spanish flu. Uh, this will pass, you know. It may take a few years to get back to normal, but don't worry about the new normal. This whole new normal is just the temporary normal. We'll be back to having dive charters and parties and and friends over and weddings, and uh, you know, not not worrying about giving your 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 buddy a, a handshake or a or a hug when you see him. We'll get back to those days. It's just going to be you know, months or maybe even a, a year or so. We'll see but we'll get there. Oh, well, uh, as, as you talked earlier, it sounds like there's some plans already brewing for this weekend for the, for those of the means and the location. Uh, Mac, did you have a dive safety story for this week? Well, actually I have. Uh, this is called Fisherman Developed Spinal DCS After In Water uh, Recompression Attempt for Joint Pain DCS. The diver is a 29-year-old shellfish harvester, hookah diver. He was treated for paraplegia, paraplegia three years ago, and he is now collecting razor clams. I'm not, why, I'm not sure why the difference. Maybe one's deeper than the other. On his fourth day of diving, he did three dives to 18 meters depth, one to one and a half hours each. Between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m., he did such. He did not do any deco or safety stops. Instead, he tried to maintain a slow ascent. Fifteen minutes after his last dive while in the boat, 
started feeling pain in his right elbow. He did water recompression to 8 meters for 10 minutes and 30 minutes at 3 meters while breathing air. Four minutes after, 40 minutes after the recompression, when he was already out of his house, he got pain in both knees and decided to admit to a local hospital. On admission, the pain in his knees was 6 on a scale of 0 to 10. Strength of the lower limbs was 3 on a scale of 0 to 5. Knee flexor 3 and knee extender 4 on a scale of 5. Patient received 1,000 milliliters ringer's lactate for rehydration. Chest x-ray and ECG were normal. Skin had no signs of skin bends. On first aid surface oxygen, symptoms started to decrease. He was recompressed on the U.S. Navy TT5. Pain diminished after three minutes upon reaching the decompression depth and completely resolved within 15 minutes. Upon completion of treatment, his strength was normal. He was lucky. And it did appear that his uh, in-water recompression had some value, at least postponed it so he could get back to, to land and then eventually go to a chamber. If all you got is in water, I reckon that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Yeah, you want to find a way to get through that. Which is not recommended today, but if you don't have access to a hyperbaric chamber, uh, sometimes you have to make a judgment call. Yep. And if that was a full face hooker rig, that was a little more positive because if you had some other issues and somebody was with you, at least you're not going to drown drown. You still got air. And I do have a shipwreck of the week. Okay. Go for it. Um, I'm going to leave, leave our general setting of the Great Lakes, and I'm going to talk about something uh, quite unique, quite special, the real treasure ship here. Treasure ship of, of intellectual and information. Well, because <laughs> I should have thought this out a little bit better. Uh, I'll talk about the Antikythera shipwreck. A lot of folks have heard of this here. A lot of folks have not. But we seem to be attracting a, a larger and larger audience here on Scuba Obsessed. I thought I'd cast a little bit larger net for our Shipwreck of the Week. The Antikythera Shipwreck, we don't actually know the name of this point, but it was found in the year 1900 by sponge divers. Now, sponge divers uh, use a rig similar to what Mac was talking about, not a hookah, but they do do, they do the time we're doing uh, surface-supplied air. This was hard hat diving. And uh, these folks who worked around the Aegean, Mediterranean, would get bent all the time. They didn't have any way of dive tables and charts. They, they knew if you went down, if you didn't come up, come up slow, get bent, get hurt, get bruised inside, damaged. And a lot of these guys didn't live a long time. Just kind of, uh, they figured it was occupational hazard. You know, this is the year 1900 and before, and after to some extent. And we're, this was long before OSHA. They, you know, it was uh, what they dealt with for the job. But there were a group of sponge divers that uh, ended up having to shelter behind an island for a nasty storm that came. This was Antikythera Island, which is in the Aegean Sea, Mediterranean. And after the storm went through, they decided this was an area which had not been dove for sponges recently. So they would go take a look-see. And the first diver went down, and he pulls on the line, bring me to, to signaling, bring me up, bring me up, bring me up. And I want to say they were down about 170 feet. I don't have the specs right in front of me. But these guys are doing this on air. And even though they're very, very experienced, they're significantly, 
you know, nart, nart, having a great deal of nitrogen narcosis. But the first diver they brought that went down, he swears he's not going back down there. The place is full of bodies and dead horses and dead men down there, and he's not going back down there. Well, the captain of the sponge diving operation thinks that can't be right, so he's going to go down and take a look for himself. And so down he goes. And sure enough, he gets down there, and the bottom of the sea is covered with body parts and dead horses and dead men. And But he's thinking, well, maybe I'm you know, hallucinating due to the narcosis. So he, he grabs something and comes back up with it. And what he grabbed was the was an arm of a statue. And he, he comes to the surface, and they realize that what the previous diver was seeing down were bronze statues everywhere down. Now, later on, well, they, well, they, they brought word of this back to Greece, and there was a great archaeological investigation out there, and they brought up many, many of these ancient statues, all kinds of artifacts, jewelry. Um, I haven't heard so much about treasure and gold being found, but there was a great deal of artwork brought up. And they believe it was actually a uh, a Roman ship that was carrying treasure in the name of, in the form of artwork back after a, a village had been plundered. Um, this was BC. Let's see if I can get the information from me again here. But uh, I think they have it dated to 500 BC. I want to say could be wrong on that. But uh, any event. Uh, Many folks have gone back to this site. Uh, Jacques Cousteau initially surveyed it in 1953. Wasn't able to get down there at that point, but he came back later uh, in the early 80s. One of the Jacques Cousteau specials was about his investigation down there. Uh, One of the items found down there, not by Jacques Cousteau, it was found actually by the group that went down there just shortly after, after it was found, is what's termed the Antikythera Mechanism. And it's one of those really hard-to-explain devices because based upon the dating of this vessel, uh, supposedly they didn't have the technology for this. This is something like you know finding a, uh, a 747 buried in the pyramids somewhere. It just doesn't make sense to find this, this mechanism there. And it's a system of bronze gears and they've all been handmade, you know, taken, you know, made with files out of out of sheets of bronze, and they are, uh, you know, very very detailed, and have a unique numbers of teeth on them. And by counting the teeth, uh, archaeologists have determined this likely was an astrolab. And what an astrolab is used for is basically predicting the movements of the planets and the sun and the moon. And so you can forecast eclipses, and you can forecast um, what is going on in the heavens based upon uh, what they, they, they believe they knew at the time of the movements of the heavenly bodies. But this is an item which is way well well ahead of its time. But there have been many, many different items found down there. Like, say, Jacques Cousteau went down there in the early 80s, did a great deal of excavation, found a, many, many more statues. Most of what Jacques found were uh, smaller miniatures, but uh, again, he found you know hundreds and hundreds of artifacts down there, all of which were turned into uh, you know museums in Greece. Um, but uh, to my knowledge, there hasn't been any true gold or gems or what we consider to be treasure. But the intellectual treasure, the history down there, they have found is priceless. 
And I encourage all of our listeners, if you're curious at all about this, if I pique your curiosity, to uh, Google search, take a look up on the Ant- Antikythera shipwreck. That's A-N-T-I-K-Y-T-H-E-R-A. And that's found off Antikythera Island in the Aegean. And it is a marvelous, marvelous story. So please indulge your curiosity. Yeah, and that's that, a great one to follow. Yeah, and there's, there's been numerous digs out there. I mean, it uh, seems that uh, pretty much every archaeologist wanted to make a name for himself. Every American archaeologist makes a name for himself has gone out there one time or another and uh, used some different techniques to find things. And, you know, th- this ship must have just been loaded with artworks because I have not heard of a, of a dig that went out there that didn't find something really cool. And... I guess there actually were gemstones that were the eyes the eyes of some of the statues. And the statues, you can find pictures of them online. And uh, some of them have these really, really, you know, staring eyes of uh, some kind of white stone. It's really kind of un- unearthly looking at these things. But, uh, you know, whoever the artist was of these, it was uh, had their own unique style. Oh, and they suspect that it's possible that the Antikythera mechanism may actually even been designed by Archimedes. Um, Archimedes was an inventor that uh, eventually he was uh, captured by the Romans. And uh, actually, the, I think he was on the island of Crete, some one of those islands in the, you know, just south of Italy there. And uh, when, the, when the Romans captured the island he was on, it was Crete, uh, the centurion was sent to retrieve Archimedes and bring him in for questioning. And Archimedes says, no, I'm, I'm too busy. If you want to question me, you come here and question me. I'm too busy to deal with your stuff, deal with your questioning. And the centurion took out his sword and slew him, just killed him right there on the spot. And I don't think he knew who he was killing. Archimedes was, uh, we have adventures of his today, which still uh, exist. Uh, the Archimedes screw is basically a, uh, an auger used to move move grain but uh, it's very similar to what we use for uh you know boring a hole in the ice today or uh, a corkscrew you um read upon the archimedes death ray <laughs> you know there's all kinds of cool stuff that guy did but all these stories are coming related come together but please check out the antikythera shipwreck it's really cool stuff thank you that was a good one well i think we are getting to the end of the show before we head off do you have anything you want to plug mac well, there's not too much going on right now, so I'm going to say no today. <laughs> Maybe later. Yeah. How about you, Kevin? Well, I do want to encourage our listeners to uh, please continue to support, to support your local dive center. Uh, don't just assume they can't they can't uh, take care of your needs during this time. Give them a call. Uh, there are a lot of dive centers who are open in one capacity or another. Uh, they're all able to do mail order. Perhaps, you know, you can mail them your regulators. Um, if you haven't got your regulator service, do you want to get them in? Because you are going to have a dive season this year, okay? Don't give up on it there. But please support your local dive center. We all like to have those deals online, but those deals online aren't going to fill your scuba tanks. Additionally, uh, support your local libraries. Anytime you have a chance to vote in a millage to give them some more money, so, so send them some more coins because they need it. Everyone seems to think that all the information you need is can be found with Google. But there's a tremendous amount of written information which is not being digitized. When the libraries are lost, that information will be lost forever. So please support your local libraries. 
And if you're enjoying this show, we certainly could appreciate your support. Uh, go to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, click on over the Patreon link, and uh, we could use some assistance. Uh, it's been a little slow. We've lost a few people over the last few months as uh, the virus has most likely affected them, and we certainly understand we don't want anybody to spend money that they can't part with, but if they can, we would appreciate it. Uh, helps keep this program going and lets us know that it's worth doing. We're on Twitter at ScoobObsessed, uh, Facebook.com forward slash ScoobObsessed. And maybe maybe we should do something with uh, Instagram. I, I, I've seen that. And then um, we are going to play around with some YouTube as uh, things go on. Well, I think we are, are to that time of the show. Are you ready? I'm sitting down. I'm good. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've I've got a few of them. Let me see which which ones are uh, going to be the ones that. Uh, so you're letting them ferment, is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, none of them are really all that good in the particular spot. But uh, when I say not good, I mean the good ones. I can't say so. <laughs> uh, I just had some. Okay, well, here's one. I uh, a, a diver got fired because he was too shallow. But he got hired again because that led him to hit bottom. Really, really didn't quite get that one. Uh, so let's let's try this one. A diver enters a tavern. What is blue and smells like red paint? Blue paint. Yeah, I didn't think. I'm so. gonna have to help you out next week. And <laughs> <Yeah>. I <laughs> I think I've got I've got one more. Let me see. It's uh, uh, a man was painting his car black when a neighbor suddenly came by. It's not unwise to paint it. If you're going to sell it tomorrow, the neighbor asked, don't worry. I've heard I can double the amount I'm going to charge if I sell the car in the black market. It's coming up now. It's getting a little better. Oh, okay. Now I'm under pressure. Let me see if I can find something else. <laughs> the, t- the tough thing is that for every joke I can say, there's like nine I can't say. So let's see. Uh... <laughs> Until Craig is off. Until Craig's off. Yeah. We... <laughs> I just, oh my gosh. Are we that shallow? <laughs> uh. There's there's one that isn't dirty, but I, I'm looking at it, and I probably just don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to dare that one. Uh, wow, that would have been a good one. Yeah. Uh, here, here's one. Talk about mixed feeling when your mother-in-law drives off a deep chasm without any chance of survival in your new car. Okay, here, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to break into the, we'll open the vault. Yeah, my dad told me uh, last week, did you hear about the guy who invented lifesavers? They say he made a mint. A ham sandwich walks in the bar and orders a beer. The bartender says, sorry, we don't serve food here. When the cashier goes to the grocery store and asks my dad if he'd like the milk in the bag, he says, no, just leave it in the carton. Why do chicken coops only have two doors? Because if they had four, they'd be chicken sedans. Why the Clydesdale give the pony a drink of water because he was a little horse. Oh my gosh, you guys are going to make me really go dig in the basement here. <laughs> okay. Today I brought pizza on the bus with me. The driver said, Hey, it's not a restaurant here. I said, I know that's why I bought my own food. <clears throat> my mom loves gardening. She was so excited that spring finally arrived. She wet her plants. We did the one about the guy who lost his wife in a scuba diving accident. Didn't we? Yeah. Okay. We won't use that one again then. <laughs> yeah. Does make you hungry though. Yeah. I bought 
uh, Chihuahua for my wife. Chihuahuas are amazing. Despite the huge ears, bulging eyes, and terrible breath, he's fond of her. <coughs> Why did the stingray have a chat with the scuba diver? Why is that? He wanted to have a man-to-man talk. Sorry about that one. <laughs> Whenever we dive, we drive past a graveyard, my dad says, do you know why I can't be buried there? We all say, why not? He says, because I'm not dead yet. Where do scuba, uh, scuba divers go to relax after work? Where's, where's that? Dive bars. Uh, I used to have a job at a calendar factory, but I got the sack because I took a couple days off. It's like the kid that decided to pursue a scuba diving career. That was because all his grades were below sea level. <laughs> and then two guys walk in the bar. The third one ducks. I do hate scuba diving. It's the lowest moment of my life. <laughs> I, I think people can, if they're all just kind of groaners, do they like become a super groaner if we add them all together? Well, this one here used to be a joke, but it's true now. Used to have a scuba diving business, but it went under. No. Oh. Scuba diving's a good hobby if you want to hit rock bottom. <sighs> I, I think that, that goes in the too, the too soon. <laughs> have we done enough damage to people out there? I think so. So until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. Divers are pretty good about staying safe because they always wear a mask. <laughs> yeah. Always breathing from clean air. Definitely not contaminated. So let's get Craig out of here. <laughs>